Okay. We will get this here momentarily. There we go. Okay. That'll be good. That'll be good. Good evening. How are you guys all doing tonight? Thank you, Laura and Linda, for leading us in worship tonight. Very sweet. Very sweet. Very sweet. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, guys, welcome on this uh, midweek between Christmas and New Year's. Good to have you here with us tonight. And those of you who've joined us on Facebook Live, uh, good to see you here. And I uh, want to say a quick hello to Joe. Hey, Joe, how you doing? You guys say hi to Joe. Hi, Joe. You, Joe doesn't see you guys, but Joe's got COVID. Wanted to be here. He's had it since like Sunday. Feeling better. Tested positive can't come, wanted to see his daughter and his precious wife do worship together, can't be here. So he's, he's got us covered on uh, Facebook Live, so very, very sweet time, Joe. Thank you for sharing them with us. Anyway, <clears throat> tonight we're going to be continuing through the book of Psalms. So open your Bibles, if you will, to uh, Psalm 78, and as you open there, you're going to see that this is kind of a long psalm. It's 72 verses. Guess what we're planning to do tonight? Yeah, the whole, the whole psalm. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. A couple of announcements first, though, as we uh, are prepared to get into the Word of God. A couple of announcements. Um, for the holidays, the office is closed. Uh, we announced this this past Sunday, but uh, basically between uh, Christmas Eve and New Year's Day, and this year, since New Year's is on Sunday, we'll be celebrating on Monday, so their office will reopen on Tuesday the 3rd. So that, that's the plan on that. And on that day also, on January 3rd, it's going to be our first day of three days of prayer and fasting. You know, we, we always, every year, uh, begin the year, sometime during the first week in the year, with uh, prayer and fasting. And so we're going to be doing it on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, January 3rd through the 5th. Uh, our Wednesday evening, we'll be here uh, praying. Uh, at, on the evening of each one of those days, as we go through that time of fasting and prayer, in the evening at 7 o'clock each day, we're going to be uh, culminating the day with a time of prayer here. So we'll have a prayer meeting from 7 to 8 o'clock uh, on, on those evenings. We'll be meeting back in room 316 for, for those prayer meetings. So that's what's going to be happening next week uh, after the first of the year. This is the, this is the last... Uh, time together to worship the Lord together as a fellowship of 2022. Our next time on Sunday is going to be January the 1st, 2023. Can you guys believe that? It's crazy how fast the, the, the years are going by nowadays. Also, uh, next week, um, on Saturday the 7th, we're going to be celebrating our 30th year anniversary as a church. And we're going to be celebrating the the faithfulness of God. You know, we want everybody to join us for that. We're going to be uh, providing lunch for everybody who comes to the service. Begins at 11 o'clock. It's going to be about an hour and a half service or so. And then afterward, we're going to be gathering for lunch back in room 316. Uh, but we want to know how many lunches we need 
to prepare for. So we need you guys to sign up on the sign-up sheet uh, after service. Um, uh, the the um, office will be open. We've got a sheet there to sign up. But on Sundays, it's right out there on the table to sign up to just simply to tell us you plan on coming and you want to have lunch. And, uh, you know, if you don't sign up, you can certainly come and join us. And maybe you'll share, somebody will share their lunch with you afterward. Or maybe you can just simply join us in fellowship out, out, uh, without a lunch. Or maybe you can come and join us in fellowship and bring your own lunch. I don't know. I'm just kind of throwing out ideas. But we want you here with us to celebrate uh, the Lord being so faithful over 30 years. It's going to be a, a great time together. It really is. A couple's ministry is going to be meeting on January the 15th. So that's just a couple a couple weeks away from this next Sunday. Um, and at the end of the month, on Saturday, January 28th, we're going to be having our annual Passing the Baton Conference for the Men, uh, a conference that uh, emphasizes and encourages men to pass the baton of faith to their kids. Uh, but not just simply our own kids, because, I mean, there, there are men in the church who perhaps don't have children, uh, maybe adult children. We've got grandkids, that. Uh, you know, our kids, grandkids, and anyone really that um, is within our own sphere of influence. So uh, that's our desire. That's what we're going to be doing on the 28th. We do have um, Pastor Jerry Brown and his son Daniel Brown are going to be sharing uh, Daniel is a worship leader. He's going to be leading, leading us in worship. And we, we did have Chuck Woolley, Pastor Chuck Woolley from Calvary Chapel out in uh, Cathedral City. He was going to teach on Monday. He called me and let me know that he just, that something came up and he just simply could not do that. And, and I'll share with you what it is. Um, uh, many of you probably don't, are not aware of this. Early last year, uh, Pastor Chuck uh, lost one of his daughters to COVID. And uh, they had not done a memorial service for her, and the 28th is the anniversary of her going to be with the Lord, so they've chosen that day to have their memorial service. And so he's got to bow out to come with us, and for, for a very good reason, obviously. But keep him and the family in prayer. You know, uh, Pastor Chuck lost his wife about four, four to five years ago, and now he's lost his daughter a year ago. So be praying for them. But uh, he's not going make to uh, make it with us. But we are going to have um, Richard Andrews going to be sharing. And he's going to be sharing from a perspective that is unusual uh, in terms of the passing the baton. But you'll, um, you guys are going to be blessed with him sharing. And he's also going to probably be helping out uh, uh, Daniel with some worship as well. And uh, I learned maybe a month or so ago when we, we started talking about, well, a while before that, but that uh, when I mentioned to Richard that we were talking to Daniel Brown about coming to do worship, he said, oh, Daniel, yeah, I know him. I spent some time mentoring him in, in worship. So they're going to probably get together and do some worship together for the guy. That's going to be a blessing. So I'm looking forward to that time together with you guys. So let's make sure that we, we get... Uh, uh, those around us to come, it's going to be a blessed time. Of course, uh, we're going to be continuing on, on, on Sunday morning with our regular services. On the second uh, Sunday of next month, we're going to be having our, our communion and uh, 
uh, our um, Koinonia Sunday service at or afterward with the, with the Koinonia meal and so forth. Keep those ministries in prayer. Um, bearing one another's burdens is, is going to be held on Saturday, January 21st uh, at 9.30 a.m. And then at the end of the month on the 31st is a Women's Titus 2 Tuesday. So a lot of things that are going on with ministries in the next month or so. So make sure you keep your, uh, uh, these things on your calendar and come and join us uh, for them all. Okay, let's get into the word, guys. Psalm 78, would you stand with me? And since we do not have a three-hour service tonight, we're not going to read the entire psalm before we start. Uh, we will read uh, Psalm 78, the first eight verses, and then we'll just pick up from there and just go through this psalm uh, together. Let's read. I'm going to go ahead and read uh, from the uh, inscription on through the eighth verse here in Psalm 78. A contemplation of Asaph. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my, my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they, would, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let's pray. Father, we do ask tonight that you be with us as we go through this psalm. It's a psalm of, uh, of, of teaching to give instruction. It's a historical psalm, and it's one that, that illustrates for us the way that we as your people can go astray, but your faithfulness in ministering to us, even as we may do that. Father, have your way in our hearts, we pray tonight. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be here with us to teach us, to lead us into your truth, that your son Jesus would be glorified during this time, and Lord, that you would just simply have your way in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for this time together, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. As we see here, this is a contemplation of Asaph. Now, as a contemplation, it basically means that it's a psalm of instruction, a psalm of instruction that comes from the pen of Asaph. There is no reason to think that, that it was actually written by Asaph, the uh, contemporary of King David, uh, as we've talked before, uh, Asaph being one of three of the uh, chief uh, uh, worshipers, worship leaders 
that, that David used to minister to the people of God in the, the, uh, the sanctuary. And at that time, in David's time, it would have been a tabernacle, not, not the temple, because it was, of course, Solomon who built the temple of God. But as a historical psalm, we're going to see a lot in this psalm of a review of the things that God had done for his people. I think it's one of the reasons why we're going to be able to get through this, these 72 verses this evening, because with all of the history, it's very, very familiar to us, the things that God had done for his people. We will be citing some passages, though, a few. But it's very, very... Uh, familiar to us, and yet we're going to see as this history is presented that uh, there's, there's no reason, especially as we see the way that Asaph writes this. Uh, for example, in, in verse 72, he says, So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. It's a very brief description of King David's rule, and that's the, the way that this psalm ends. Uh, Asaph didn't have anywhere else to go because history had ended around this point. We, we, would, we would think that this psalm was written probably by Asaph shortly after Solomon began to rule after the temple was built because in the 69th verse, we see these words, and he built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth which he has established Forever, So sure, certainly seems to be a reference to the building of the temple by Solomon. Given the nature of this psalm being a historical psalm, it is important for us to remember what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, in which he said, Now all these things happened to them, as examples, he's speaking about the people of the Old Testament in the context. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We can learn a lot from reading the Old Testament, can't we? And the lessons that are learned in those Old Testament passages, the things that they did, God's response to them, the blessings that God poured out, their response to God, all of that, they're written for our own admonition, for our learning, that we might be taught by the things that we read. And, and by the way, isn't it a blessing to be able to learn from other people's mistakes rather than our own? The question is, do we? Often we see somebody else going through a problem because of something that they've done, and we'll say, oh, we'll never do that. That'll never happen to me. And lo and behold, it does. Uh, because we've got to see ourselves the way that God sees us. And, and one of the things, that, that that is something that we're going to be reading here in the context of this psalm. So the first eight verses, as we read these words, Give ear, O my people, to my law, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I'll open my mouth in a parable, utter dark sayings of old. Uh, the idea of the dark sayings of old basically is just riddles. Uh, sometimes it can be a riddle to kind of 
uh, try to see what God is trying to say in the same way that a parable is given. And, and even the, the, the disciples asked Jesus, why do you teach the people in parables? And basically Jesus said, so that they won't understand, but they can understand as they seek the Lord, right? And so this idea that, that we learn through our seeking after God uh, as we read these stories and these, these uh, uh, interactions between God and his people. Uh, and note the nature of verses 4 to 8 here. We see here that in this, in this basic introduction, that's what these first eight verses are, an introduction by Asaph to the point of what he wants to teach. And it is this, that, that God brings us his word so that we can teach them to our children and to our grandchildren, um, not hiding them from our children, you know, uh, teaching one generation to the next. And that really, that's really the basic idea of our passing the baton uh, um, conference uh, at the end of next month, that we need to teach our children the word of God, not only instructing them through the word itself, but instructing them through the way that we follow the word, the way that we respond to the word, teaching them through the way that we act, understanding that our children catch more through watching us than learning by reading. That's one of the things that's important. And that's how the people of God would pass the word of God to others around them. We, we do see in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, these words. Moses uh, wrote, Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, when the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. To learn to fear him all of their days on the earth, and teach their children the same. That's God's heart for us. And this is God's heart that he gave to Asaph in writing this particular psalm. He's going to give some history of the Jewish people and their lack of faithfulness to God, lack of obedience to God, their lack of following his instruction, lack of worshiping him alone, and yet God responding in mercy and grace. That's where God is. That's what he does. And so this is what we're going to see during this, uh, in, or, or throughout this, this 78th Psalm. Notice something else here in these first eight verses, particularly verses 7 and 8. Note verse 7, that they may set their hope in God, being taught the word so that we may set our hope in God, teaching our children the word that they too may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. To talk to our children about what God has done for us, what he has done for his people, 
in the context here, the primary thing that they will talk to their children about what God has done is well, obviously the history up to this point, and that's what Asaph does, but a lot about God delivering the people of, of, of Israel out of bondage in Egypt, being with them throughout their time in the wilderness and bringing them into the promised land as he keeps his promise. And we too can teach our children how God kept, keeps his promise to us. Uh, the, the, the same idea, the, the same heart of God toward his people, but he does it in a different way, a different kind of a setting, different circumstances. But he delivers us from bondage, doesn't he? And we need to share with our children in the way that he does that. Verses 9 to 11. The children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows. By the way, children of Ephraim here basically is a reference to the children of Israel. Uh, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. Th this is basically a brief description of God's people after they were brought into the promised land by, um, by uh, Joshua. They forgot. They forgot what God had done. They refused to walk in his law, as we see in verse 10. Did not keep the covenant of God, verse 10 again. And they forgot his wonders that he had shown them. And, and so th this idea is kind of spearheads their attitude all during this time. And of course, as we, as we continue to read, we're going to see not only after God had brought his people into the promised land, but before as well. Let's go ahead with verse 12. See how quickly we're going through this already? Marvelous things he did in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. And he made the water stand up like a heap. In the daytime, also he led them with the cloud and, at, and all the night with the light of fire. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink in abundance like the depths. He also brought streams out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. So in this 12th through 16th verses, we see basically what, what God did as the people were in the wilderness after they were brought out of Egypt. Uh, he had just written in verses 9 to 11 the things that they had forgotten when they came into the promised land, and they didn't fight the battles like they were supposed to. They didn't defeat the enemy like they were supposed to, as they forgot what God had previously done, and now he's talking about what he had previously done in, while they were in the wilderness, the way that he provided them uh, for them and so forth. Uh, I mean, uh, causing them to be delivered firstly, Verse, uh, verse 12, from Egypt and uh, through the Red Sea. We're very familiar with that particular story. Uh, how he led them through the wilderness uh, with a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, right? As we see there. Splitting the rocks and bringing water through. I mean, he provided for his people incredibly. And he showed him that he was with them in that pillar of, of, of fire by night. I mean, that was, a, that, that was to, to give them comfort, but also in being aware of his presence to, to give them 
guidance. He was there to guide them. Moses being with them all that time as the man that God had chosen to direct them and lead them, of course, but God was with them the entire time, and, and he, he showed them that. But they forgot what God had done as they were even there doing that, as they were experiencing God's presence in that way. Verse 17, but they sinned even more against him by rebelling against the Most High in the wilderness. And they tested God in their heart by asking for the food of their fancy. Yes, they spoke against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rock so that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide meat for his people? And, and so the people testing God as if they are mocking him. It's almost like, big deal, he brought water from a rock. Can he give us some bread and meat too? You know, it's like complaining, complaining, complaining. These complaining spirits, the people of Israel. One of the things we can tend to do as people, I think, is, is say, gosh, if we had been there and we had witnessed everything that God did for them, we would never have done that. Right? We'll do stuff like that. But you know, how many times do we tempt God by wanting more blessings than he's already giving to us, for, for, uh, that he's already given to us, forgetting the blessings that we have, forgetting the way that he's already worked. And, you know, if, if God can bring water from a rock, of course he can provide bread. And, of course, we're going to see here uh, uh, how uh, Asaph writes about this, but we know that the Lord brought manna from heaven. You know, angel's food. Now, it wasn't angel food cake. We just want to make sure we're clear about that. But angel's food he gave them to eat. And at a time, at one time, he brought to them quail from heaven. I mean, it's not from heaven, but a wind from the east brought this all these quail and so many that they couldn't eat it all and the meat was coming out of their nose. They had so much. Remember that? A nice that's a nice thing to remember. I don't know why I remember that part of it, but, but that's what happened. That's what happened. Of course God can do that. I think one of the things that's important for us to remember is, and it is always true, there is nothing impossible with God, right? We've always got to remember that. Because we always go, I mean, we, we go through trials. We go through temptations. We go through difficulties, afflictions, and, and, and sickness, and, and financial struggles, and trouble within the family, and whatever it might be. You know, and we'll, we'll pray to God and ask for him to do something, and sometimes we'll even ask him, Lord, why aren't you doing anything about this, thinking that he's not, when often he is. We just don't see it. You know, especially when there's relational problems, it's like, God, do something about this. And, you know, it can take time for God to work on a person's heart. Partly because that person has to respond. But it doesn't mean God's not working. It doesn't mean he's not working, right? And there's nothing too hard for him. But sometimes we assume that we know what he's supposed to be doing. And he's going to be doing something differently, doing something else that is actually going to be somehow better than 
what our plan might be. And one of the questions is that we have to ask ourselves is, have we, have we finally stopped letting God know what he ought to be doing? Right? Oh, we need to stop doing that. Because he knows. He knows. You ladies, of course, know my, my wife's favorite verse, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I know the thoughts that I have towards you. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. I know the thoughts I have. And that's, that, that's given. I mean, Jeremiah writes that in such a way that it's like God is saying, you don't know my thoughts, but I do. I know what I'm thinking. I know my plan. I know what I'm going to do. Trust me. Trust me. I know what I'm doing, right? Sometimes when we offer God's suggestions, it's like we don't trust him. It's like we know what ought to happen here, God. And I, I think uh, whatever you're doing, I don't get it. But, but, oh, let's be careful. Let's be careful. Can he provide for his people? Of course he can. Can he provide meat? Of course. Bread? Of course. He provides for us whatever it is that we need. We see many times God speaking on that, and he's faithful to do so, always faithful to do so. Uh, we often have the problem of confusing a desire with a need. We have that problem. Let's look at verse 21. Therefore the Lord heard this and was furious. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel. So with the people responding in this way, it angered the Lord toward them. So this fire was kindled, this fire of wrath in God's heart towards these rebellious, unthankful, ungrateful, demanding, complaining people. Let's be careful that those words don't describe us. His anger came up against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust in his salvation. Wow. Because they did not believe in God and didn't trust in his salvation. Didn't trust in his deliverance. Didn't trust in his rescue didn't trust in the way that he brings wholeness to us. They didn't trust him. They didn't believe him that he would do so. And then look at verses 23 and forward. Even though they had this heart, God angry toward them in their ungratefulness to him. And we sang a song earlier about gratitude, you know, and it's like, yeah, let's remember, and a part of what's in this psalm is the idea of people not remembering what God had done, simply not remembering what God has done. But look at this. Even in this anger, look at this. Yet, verse 23, yet he had co commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven, had reigned 
down manna on them to eat and given them of the bread of heaven. Men ate angels' food. He sent them food to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he brought in the south wind. He also rained meat on them like the dust, feathered fowl like the sand of the seas, and he let them fall in the midst of their camp all around their dwellings. So they ate and were filled, for he gave them their own desire. They were not deprived of their craving, but while their food was still in their mouths, the wrath of God came against them and slew the stoutest of them and struck them down, the, struck down the choice men of Israel. This is uh, God's response to their lack of, lack of thanks. In fact, God gave them what they asked for, and yet we see there in that um, 30th verse they were not de de deprived of their craving. And really what this means is while God gave them their desire, their craving continued. Their, 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 their desire was not satisfied. That's the idea behind that. And, and because they, they just, you, you know, um, it, it reminds me of something I heard about um, John Rockefeller one time. At one time, he was the richest man in the world. And he was asked a question about how much money he had to earn to finally be satisfied. And he said, one more dollar. But the problem was it was always one more dollar. Always one more, right? Desire versus need. Well, this was the heart of the people. God gave them their desire. Now, remember, they illustrated that they didn't believe in God and they, they did not trust in his salvation. That was their heart. And, and so, obviously, they were never satisfied with what he did for them. He was never satisfied with what, what they did for him, or what, what he did for them, excuse me. This fire kindled within them. So, so he gave them their desire, but they continued in their lust. Numbers 11, 33 and 34. We see these verses. This is when this actually took place with the, uh, with the meat, with the, 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 the uh, fowl from heaven. Uh, but while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed... The wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people because he saw their heart. He saw their heart. And the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. So he called the name of that place Kibroth Hatava because there they buried the people who had yielded to craving. Now that's an interesting phrase right there. They, they buried the people who had yielded to craving. The, the context would, would be, we could, we could read it like something like this. They, they, they yielded to craving rather than trusting God. They, they yielded to their own desires rather than trusting God and his provision. Right? 
God help us. Again, just a different way of wording something that we've been talking about for a few minutes here. And being ruled by our desires and not confusing desire with need and trusting God to meet each and every need. Verse 32 to 37. In spite of this, they still sinned. Note this, in spite of this. I mean, we, we, we've seen them, uh, God yet doing the things. And the, the, the people back in verse 24, therefore, therefore the, excuse me, the Lord, therefore the Lord heard this. You know, uh, and, and back in verse 17, even though God was ministering to them, verse 17, but they sinned even more. These words that, that are speaking about the transition and, and, and the contrast. And here in verse 32, in spite of this, in spite of the way that God responded to them, they still sinned and did not believe in his wondrous works. Therefore, their days he consumed in futility and their years in fear. And so bottom line is the futility of wandering around in that wilderness for 40 years. And that older generation from 20 years and up, when they actually came out of Egypt, from 20 years and up, every one of them died in the wilderness except Joshua and Caleb and their faithfulness to him. The futility. Verse 34, when he slew them, they sought him. So speaking about the, the plague that took place, as we read in Numbers 11. Um, when he slew them, then they sought him, and they returned and sought earnestly for God. Then they remembered that God was their rock and the most high God, their redeemer. That's interesting. They returned and sought him. They sought him earnestly, we see there in verse 34. Then they remembered. They sought God earnestly. Then they remembered. Re remembering what God has done for us really is nothing more or less than having a heart of worship for him. Seeking him sincerely. As Jeremiah writes in chapter 29 of, of, of his work, you know, when we call to him with, a, with all of our heart, and he'll answer us. All of our heart. Not in pretense. Not just acting it out. But with our whole heart. Earnestly. That's the idea of the word earnestly here. They, they sought him earnestly, and then they remembered. But it seems that it was short-lived because then we see verse 36, nevertheless, they flattered him. And again, another word, nevertheless, so it's a change of direction there. They flattered him with their mouth. They, they lied to him with their tongue. Their heart was not steadfast with him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. So several things we see there in verse 36. They flattered him. They lied to him. They were not steadfast and not faithful. 
even though they earnestly sought him. Interesting. You know, one of the things that we must remember is as we read these things, and these things are written for our learning so that we can have some understanding, let us remember we, as members of the church, we as children of God today, post-Pentecost, we have the Holy Spirit within us. The people of God at that time did not. They did not have his power. They might know what to do, and they might think, you know, we need to seek after God. And they may have earnestly done that, but they didn't have the staying power that we can have because we've got the Holy Spirit within us, and they didn't, right? Let's remember that. And so even as we might respond, well, we never would have acted like them, and well, what would we have done without the Holy Spirit in us like they didn't have the Holy Spirit within them? Something to think about. Something to think about as we, as we read these words. Their heart not steadfast, not faithful to his covenant, or in his covenant. Then look at verse 38. But he, speaking of God, but God, one of those places where we find but God, even though they were this way, but God, being full of compassion. That word compassion, uh, the, the, well, full of compassion, that, that word that, that phrase is the same as the word merciful. It's the very same Hebrew word. Full of compassion, he forgave their iniquity, did not destroy them. Yes, many a time he turned his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a breath that passes away and does not come again. He remembered because he's full of compassion he forgave them so many times being turned he turned away his anger it, re, it reminds us of exodus 34 when when uh, moses asked god to reveal his glory to him he said lord show me your glory remember in exodus chapter 33 then in chapter 34, we see that actually happening. And in verses 6 and 7, we read this. You know, the Lord had taken uh, Moses and he put him in the cleft of the rock, right? And then he passed before him and put his hand over him so he couldn't see him until he had passed by. And, and then he saw the, 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 the back parts of God as he was walking away. And, and those, that, that word in the Hebrew there, the, the, the hinder parts or the back parts, it really means his, his afterglow. You know, the, the glowing of his glory had gone before, and he was just seeing it from behind, right? The afterglow. But we see in verse 6 and 7 of Exodus 34 these words. The Lord passed, by, passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. God showing his glory to Moses, the first thing he sees is mercy. 
And it is also one aspect of, of who he is that is mentioned twice in this passage. Merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth. The idea of abounding means it, 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 it abounds now and keeps on growing, keeps on piling up more and more and more, more and more goodness, more and more truth. That's the idea there, abounding. Keeping mercy for thousands. Mercy once again there, as we said. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin by no means clearing the guilty. You can't be guilty and just, it's, he's not just going to overlook it. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and, to the third and the fourth generation. The sins of the father visiting the children basically means that there are effects there are consequences to sin. And often, I mean, if a man sins, you know, his children are going to be somehow affected by it. There is no such thing as sinning without it somehow affecting people around you. It just doesn't exist. But the point here is that that that's a spiritual tr truth, but because of his mercy and because of his grace and because of his goodness and because of his truth, because of his forgiveness, that chain of to the th third and fourth generation can be broken. Sins are committed, it affects the children, children come to Jesus Christ, and then things begin to be reversed because of the grace and the mercy and the truth of Jesus Christ. That's what takes place. But his mercy, he pours out his mercy even though they were doing what they were doing. Verse 40, how, excuse me, uh, verse, verse 39, he remembered that they were but flesh. He reminds us of Psalm 103, verses 14 to 16, which reads, for he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass as a flower of the field, so he flourishes, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and his place remembers it no more. Guys, that's the truth about our lives here on this earth. It just passes away. It doesn't matter if a person lives just a few years, a few months, for a hundred years, on that timeline, of that eternal timeline, it's just a very quick vanishing and passing away. But, if the, but the word of the, of the Lord endure, endures forever, doesn't it? But he knows our frame that we are dust. He remembered that they were but flesh. He knows, it's another way of saying he understands our weakness. He understands what we are in the flesh. And so, because we are that, and so many times we don't want to acknowledge it, we don't want to acknowledge our, our failures and our flaws and our shortcomings and our weaknesses to other people because we generally want to present ourselves as better than we really are in our own pride, right? That's what we tend to do. But God doesn't 
exaggerate things. He sees things as they are, but he's not put off by it. He sees our flesh. He sees our weakness. And so he pours out his grace. He pours out his mercy, which is exactly what we need. What I need is not pretend I'm not what I am. What I need is God's grace and his mercy. And then he begins to change me. He begins to change me into the person he desires me to be. Verse 40, uh, continuing on there, verse 40, how often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from the enemy. Now here we see what's taking place as they are in this wilderness experience. Um, when he worked his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan, turned their rivers into blood and their streams that they could not drink. He sent swarms of flies among them, which devoured them, and frogs, which destroyed them. He also gave their crops to the caterpillar and their labor to the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail and, and their sycamore trees with frost. He also gave up their cattle to the to the hail and their flocks to fiery lightning. He cast on them the fierceness of his anger, wrath, indignation, and trouble by sending angels of destruction among them. He made a path for his anger. He did not spare their soul from death and gave their life over to the plague and destroyed all the firstborn in Egypt, the first of their strength in the tents of Ham. Let's stop there for a minute. This is what God did in Egypt the ten plagues, remember, in, in delivering his people from bondage there in Egypt. Finally, Pharaoh letting the people of God go. But as we know, that didn't last long. He gathered his army and began to chase after them. But this is what he did for his people. And Asaph says, we, we tend to forget what he did here. But notice this in verse 52. Look at this. But he made his own people go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. And he led them on safely so that they did not fear, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. Okay, so... We see in verse 52, in the first part of verse 53, a, a real tenderness here. His wrath poured out upon Egypt, but his own people were, he treated like sheep. He was their shepherd. He guided them in the wilderness like a flock, the pillar of, of fire, the pillar of cloud, right? He even hemmed them in from the front and the back. I mean, he protected them. He brought, uh, he uh, led them on safely so that they did not fear. They're shepherd. A lot of tenderness involved with that. And then on to the way he treated the enemy as they began to chase them, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies and he brought them to his holy border. This mountain which his right hand had acquired, he also drove out the nations before them, allotted them an inheritance by survey, and made the tribes of Israel dwell in their tents. So 
at this point, talking about once they entered into the promised land, the way that he brought them in and dividing up the, the, the land by lots and so forth. God ministering to his people, providing for them, pouring out his gr grace, protecting them like a shepherd, leading them and providing for them, even though their hearts were so fickle, even though their hearts strayed from him. Verse 56, yet they tested and provoked. Again, yet they tested and provoked the Most High God. Once they were brought into the, will, the, the uh, promised land, this is what they did. Did not keep his testimonies, but turned back and acted unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow, for they provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their carved images, worshiping their idols that they had made of the people. They, they failed to dis, uh, uh, expel them from the, from the land, like God said, and they began to worship their gods. When God heard this, he was furious and greatly abhorred Israel, so that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent he had placed among men, and delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hand. He also gave his people over to the sword and was furious with his inheritance. The fire consumed their young men and their maidens were not given in marriage. Their priests fell by the sword and their widows made no lamentation. So this idea of God chastening his people for their unfaithfulness to him, ungratefulness to him, and wanting to be like other people and worshiping their gods and forsaking their own. God help us. You see, these are, these are reasons that God gives to us for the need to fellowship with one another, to not get our hearts entangled with people who are of the world, you know, to remain separate from them in the sense of uh, hearts being entwined because even as Solomon was led astray by the, the many wives that he had began even to allow room in the temple that he had built for God to have altars of these other gods it's crazy where our hearts will go let's remain in a place of being bowed down unto the Lord. And so he acted in this way. And let's continue reading verse 67 to the end. Or 65, I should say, I'm sorry. Then the Lord awoke as from sleep, like a mighty man who shouts because of wine, and he beat back his enemies. He put them to a perpetual reproach. Now, there are many times that the writers of the Bible um, say things about the Lord in a way that we as people can understand. And, and it's not like God had been asleep, but it was as if he had been asleep. It's not like he had forgotten his promises, but all this was part of his plan to bring his people back to himself. Chastisement needed to take place. And, and then the way Asaph writes it, then the Lord awoke from his sleep, when the chastisement time was over, then the Lord began to deal with his enemies and the enemies of, of his people. 
But it's not like, it's not like he woke up, but it gives us a sense uh, in terms of, of the difference between the, God, the way that God was, was treating his people. But the, but the chastising, you know, the, the uh, uh, um, discipline had to happen. And then he beat back his enemies. He put them to a perpetual reproach. Moreover, he rejected, verse 67, he rejected this tent of Joseph and did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah. Mount Zion, which he loved, and he built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth which he ha has established forever. He also chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes that had, that, that had young, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he, King David, shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart, and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. It wasn't from a more powerful tribe that God chose the king. Of course, the first king was King Saul. He was a Benjamite, we know that. And yet it was King David who had a heart after God. He was a man after God's own heart. And, 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 I would think that the reason that David had a heart like God is because David was a shepherd. He knew how to take care of sheep. He knew what they needed. He knew how to protect them from the bear when the bear might come to, to, to take them or from, uh, from the lion. Even as he, as a very young man, we, we would call him probably a, 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 a boy, 13, 14 years old, when he slew Goliath, just like he slew the bear and the, and, and the lion, showing the power of God. And yet he had this shepherd's heart. So God provided for his people a shepherd that he would guide the people and love the people, protect the people, and lead the people with the same heart that God himself would do so a man after God's own heart. And so that, and that's where we see this psalm come to kind of an abrupt end. But he could have given more history about the way David led, but this was a summary of it there as we see there in verse 72. He shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. This psalm is all about the wayward, straying hearts of the people of God and God's faithfulness to continue to shepherd them, to continue to provide for them. Yes, there were times when God needed to act in, in um, chastening his people had to deal with the wickedness, had to remove wickedness from among them, but his heart was always to preserve them, always to protect them, always to provide for them. And he always did. And that's the way he is with us. He's so faithful. He's so faithful in his goodness and his kindness and his grace and in his mercy. 
We, we, we don't live a day without experiencing an, an incredible amount of God's grace. Even the, the, the grace of, of air to breathe. You know, it, it's, it's, it's his breath in our lungs as we sing. That's his grace. The grace to be able to move about the way that we do. The grace to be able to do things that we're able to do that we just simply take for granted. Um, I'm going to close with this thought before we move into celebrating communion together. But this morning I was reading uh, a devotions with my honey. And you guys know what's going on with her. In her state, there's not a lot that she can comprehend. But in this uh, devotion, it was speaking about God providing in his grace for us. And he talked about a lot of um, material provision. You know, how the, the beauty that we see around us, the grandeur of the mountains, the, the, the beauty of, of hearing birds singing uh, in the early morning outside of our window, uh, the, the, the beauty of a rainbow, or whatever it might be, things of that nature that we can kind of tend to take for granted, you know. Uh, and, enjoying a, a, a wonderful meal that God has provided for us, you know, the, the smell of a sizzling steak, you know, whatever it might be. And I, I always go there. You guys know that. And I just thought, my poor honey, I, I never really thought of this before. You know, she, she's not able to enjoy those things because her mind is not able to cognitively go to that place. She might smell something, but it's like, you know, can she identify what it is? I don't know that she can. You know, does she really enjoy the food that she eats? I know, not like she used to. Not like I do now. You know, I mean, those kinds of things. You know, it just made me sad. It made me sad. But at the same time, that also highlighted the reality of the grace that God gives to us to be able to do those kinds of things. You know, and at one time... You know, my, my precious bride had those things. Now she doesn't. Those of us who still do, gosh, let's be grateful. Let's be grateful for those things. And because we can take things for granted, they can be snatched from us at a moment, in a moment, in a moment. God help us. And one of the things we really have to be thankful for is, of course, God's love for us expressed through his son. We're going to go ahead and partake in communion right now. We're going to have the ladies come and, and, and sing a song as we prepare our hearts. They're going to sing, and I just want you to begin thinking about what God has done for you, the mercy and grace that he's shown. And uh, after we sing this song, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, really is going to be passing out the communion elements right now as, as we're preparing our hearts as we sing this song. Ladies?